These are true stories adapted and performed by actors in recovery, brought to you by the Improbable Players. Welcome to WIPW 97.1. Today I'm here with Ali, the drummer from local band Wunderkammer. Ali, thanks for being on the show with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Ali, I know that Wunderkammer has been touring for the past year on the last album, Antiquity. How's that been? Absolutely phenomenal. The support we've gotten has been amazing and and humbling. Our fans are the best. (laughs) You know, every artist says that. It's like... Whose fans really are the best? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, what I really want to hear about is your solo EP that you dropped yesterday. It's four tracks about love, loss, and your experience with drug addiction. What was it like to come out about that? It was cool, man. Cathartic. Cool. Cathartic. Yeah, yeah. So do you think you want to write more music about drug addiction in the future? Well, I... <sighs> I don't really think of it that way. I, I think of it as writing about my life experiences, which include battling addiction. I, I just want to write more music. I'm just going to ask the question we're all wondering. What kinds of drugs were you doing? Uh, well, I was drinking alcohol and, and smoking weed, but eventually and overwhelmingly, it, it was opioids. Well, anyways, time to answer some questions from fans. We've got a call from Sasha. Hi, um, my name's Sasha, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of all your music with, like, the band and, and your solo stuff, too. Um, I really related to your EP, actually. It was really cool to hear music that felt like my story was being told. It meant a lot to me. Um, I, I don't want to overstep, but I was wondering if you'd be willing to share more about your history with substance use. Oh, what a sweetheart. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Sasha. I'd actually be down to talk if we've got time. We've got all the time in the galaxy, man. So where did it all begin for you? How did you get started? Well, uh, I was curious. So I started smoking cigarettes. I bummed them off my brother. And at school, we had this corner where kids would go during lunch and after school to smoke cigarettes. We called them the corner kids. (laughs) I wanted to be different, you know, in the way that they were. So, one day, I just walked up with my brother's cigarettes and I offered them to the group. I guess they decided I was alright because the next day when I was walking by, they called me over. I felt accepted. I I reveled in being one of the outsiders. I, I liked who I was for once. On weekends, we'd hang out by the stream near our school, just drinking and smoking. And I started smoking every day. My entire attitude became about how much I could, like, not care. Of course, I I wanted other people to care about me. (laughs) I stopped trying at school, you know. I'd I'd risk bringing bottles of vodka to drink in the school bathrooms. I I think I wanted to get caught, you know. It, It was all about this image I wanted to be. Of course, I got sick from drinking so much, you know. Headaches, stomach pains. I couldn't even focus at school. Uh, But I I thought I had it under control. Then one day, someone gave me a pill. These pills, I thought I needed them to deal with how terrible I thought my life was. They numbed my pain. And what was the problem with that? The first thing I thought every day was how to get my next dose. You know, I was building up a tolerance. 
so I'd have completely awful days if I didn't have enough money to buy Oxy. I stole pill bottles from the medicine cabinets at my friends' houses, and and I uh, I even took my own grandmother's pain meds. I stopped taking care of myself. You know, I stopped brushing my teeth. I was hunched over the toilet every night, and eventually I flunked out of school. And after that, I just laid in my bed all day. My addiction was making me afraid and paranoid. I, I mean, I thought I was probably going to die. My parents eventually forced me into rehab when I was 17. 17? What was it like? Well, it started off something like this. Hi, Ali. How are you today? Pretty good, Doc. Good. So good, in fact, that I don't see why I need to be here. So why do you think you are here? I think you can figure that out. My parents... I'm sure they told you that I failed out of school. And how do you feel about that? They're better off without me messing up their test scores. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the case. So since stopping school, what have you been up to? Just chilling at home. How is chilling at home? It's great. I can do whatever I want. What is it that you want to do? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like music stuff? Like what kind? Are you a future rock star? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I... I play drums and guitar. I want to get into writing my own songs, so, yeah. Hmm. Is that something you're doing now? I don't know, not really. You're trying to make it about drugs, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's not that. I'm totally fine. I'm, I'm doing better than most people. I, I don't need to be here. Let's backtrack a little. Because of your parents, you are here. And since you are, I'd like to discuss how you would like to use our time together. There's nothing to discuss. It's not like I've OD'd or done anything stupid. What would you consider to be something stupid? I don't know. Overdosing. Getting put in juvie. I see. Do you know that it's illegal to use the drugs you are using? Like oxycodone, if they aren't prescribed to you, it could land you in juvenile detention for up to a year. That's a hefty consequence. Knowing this risk, why do you think you still chose to use? I just like to. Well, what would you say the benefits are? Or in other words, why do you like to? Well, obviously they get me high. I have a good time. They help me forget about my problems and everything that's messed up. What's messed up? It's not that easy to figure out. I, f I feel stuck. My parents, I hate this town. It's, it's suffocating me. I... I I just want to leave. Get out, you know? Well, how do you plan on getting out? Okay, let's shift focus. In what ways might using drugs be making things harder for you? I don't know. My parents are always on my back about it. They're super mad about me leaving school. Sometimes it's hard to do other things when I'm using. Well, what are some things that are hard to do? I guess it's hard to focus on, like, schoolwork. Hmm. How about music? It's fine. You're able to focus on writing songs and performing? I will when I can move out and get out of this stupid town. Do you think drugs will still be in the picture when you move out? I don't know. It, it depends. If it's a problem or whatever, I can stop. I, I can stop whenever I want to. Well, that's a good attitude, Ali, but recovery is a long process. You have to work at it. Yeah, sure. 
I understand that as a teenager, you're dealing with a lot of emotions and internal conflict. It's very natural. And Jeez, for, when do me a favor and save your patronizing speech for someone else. Look, I was a teenager once. Don't even pretend to remember what it's like to be my age. You don't. You have completely forgotten how it feels. And that's why you treat us like we don't know anything, like we're just kids. My parents are always telling me that I don't know the real world, which doesn't make any sense. Look, I'm sorry. If I made it seem like I don't respect you, I do. I view you as a human being who has a real problem that you need help with. Eventually, you may realize that your substance use disorder is hurting you more than it's helping you. I'm here to help you get there and from there on to recovery. I, I don't know what to do. That's okay. It won't be easy because addiction changes your brain and your body. Remember that it's not your fault. You can only begin to undo this dependency by discontinuing use. So here's the plan for your time here. We sit here, we talk on a daily basis or more if you need to, and we'll work on how you can take drugs out of your lifestyle. We'll take it one day at a time. One day at a time, man. And that was it? No, definitely not. I got out of that first treatment program, which was a 30-day, and went straight back to using. For a few years, I went in and out of rehab. I finally was able to get MAT, which is a medication-assisted treatment. That was what I really needed to stop me from going back to opioids. I didn't realize it was such a long process. Bravo, dude. Thanks. It was a long road. But it changed the course of my life. I wouldn't be with my band touring the country if I hadn't accepted help again and again when I needed it, and eventually stuck with it. And you wouldn't be here on WIPW with your host, Johnny McDrew. I sure wouldn't. Oh, uh, can I say one more thing? To Sasha and anyone else out there, if you need help, please ask for it. If you need help, ask for it. What a stand-up guy, guys. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Ali, for being here. Up next, we've got a few groovy throwback jams coming right at ya. So we're live now. <laughs> My name is Eric Dyer, and I guess I was the the basis of the story that was made in this play and podcast. And uh, my name is Shah Jahan Khan, and I am one of the actors in uh, the Improbable Players play called End of the Line. Uh, so. What was it like for you to hear that just now? Was it like, you know, 
What are your reactions? Well, it's interesting because, as I'm sure you know, it's usually like I, I'm telling the story. Usually right, you don't right, usually right, right. hear it from the other yeah. perspective. But the, the main theme that you touch on throughout the beginning part of that about like wanting to feel cool, wanting to feel a part of mm-hmm. is exactly how I felt and exactly how I, to this day, tell my story and how I recall the process of becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol. Because I can almost like, when I hear it, feel where I was when I told oh, this story yeah, yeah. and how I described it at that time. So, um, kind of like one of the first times you tell your story at like a meeting or it, something, ex- and like you're just yeah, I know exactly. And it's funny too because you sometimes hear people say like, "Oh, I've heard this person tell a story so, so many times, I could tell a story." Yeah, and it's like that's <laughs> it's liter- like literally, doing. literally what I just heard. Yeah, I've yeah. practiced these lines so many times right. that yeah, yeah. And to that, what's it like for you telling well, someone else's story? It's interesting because um, there's there's a lot in there that I can relate to. You know, it started with cigarettes, progressed to, to pot and stuff. And every time I tell the story, it, it reminds me um, of, yeah, just all those, because I did all those things for me too were very true. You know, like I dropped out of school. I, you know, couldn't do anything without, eventually I got to a point where I couldn't do anything without getting high. Right. So it really resonates with me in that right. sense. So. In, in the progression part too, it's interesting you said that because in the monologue, yeah, you did that monologue in a few minutes. This mm-hmm. was obviously almost ten years, so yeah, of, of my life. Okay, so, yeah. Um, but it does, it did progress that fast in a lot of ways. It's like you wake up one morning and you're trying cigarettes or pot, and you're, you're not thinking like, "Oh, I can't wait to become an opiate addict yeah, one day." Right, my parents, exactly. my parents are going to be so proud of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not like yeah. your plan. And it, and you, I think you capped. Well, however you told the story, it captures the innocence part of it too. You know, where it's not like, like you just said. You know, it's not like anybody plans on this like becoming their life. Right. So, where are you uh, now in your recovery? You know. So, uh, when I when I told that story. Initially, uh, one of the I guess like the the key moments in the story is when I'm a, a junior in college and uh, 21st birthday, I come home with a bunch of pills mm. through like stealing from my family essentially, and uh, I come home with those pills. My girlfriend is at uh, the off-campus house because we were living together at the time. It was like over the summer, mm-hmm. waiting to be seniors, and I come home and I'm high, and she's like, "I'm sick of this. It's completely over. I'm." I'm done with this you're gonna get you're gonna get better once for all i'm gonna help wean you off and so she says let me see the pills and like i'm thinking she's gonna take out one of those like monday through sunday pill containers to wean me off and i hand her the pills and like 10 seconds later is when you hear the toilet flush and that's like truly when my like journey into uh treatment began like i didn't get into recovery right away Mm -hmm. but i always tell that story because um through going through treatment multiple times and uh, some other things, um, eventually, like we we had stayed together and went through treatment, got into recovery, and then about two years ago, I married her. Oh wow! So it it was just like it's like the full circle of like we went through all this pain and suffering together, and then we went through a lot of like especially the early stages of recovery together, and now we're like completely normal like married people. Wow! And so that's really where things are today. And how long have you been in recovery now? I've been in recovery since November of 2011. Oh, okay. So a little over six over six years now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, actually for me it's been uh, 
I started my my uh, date is January fifth of two thousand eleven. Twenty eleven was a good year then. It yes. was yeah yeah clearly for both of us <laughs> and this character. <laughs> yes yeah. And how how long ago did you tell this story? Twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Okay yeah. And at the time, I probably didn't think much of it. Someone probably asked me, said, hey, are you willing to do this? Yeah. Uh, I had no idea it would, it would blossom into this play. I think it was one of those things where uh, early in recovery, like people tell you a lot of things. Yeah. And you just don't like believe that they're actually going to come true. Right. You know, like why would anyone care about my story? Mm. Uh, and also, like, why would any of these things like happen to me? My dad is in long-term recovery as well. Oh, okay. Like decades okay. in recovery. And he was always very uh, proud of the fact that he was in recovery. So even in early recovery, he tried to impress that upon me. Mm-hmm. Was that it's really important to tell your story and it's really important to be proud of being in recovery because it gives other people hope and that's how you help other people. Yeah, well, I mean, I can definitely attest to the fact that that goal has been met mm-hmm. with this play over and over hundreds of times every time we do it. Hi, my name's Shah Jahan and I voice Ali in the third episode of the End of the Line podcast. I'd like to share with you some actions you can take to help keep yourself and those around you safe. Have a discussion with your family about what prescription pills are in the house. Get rid of them safely by checking if a nearby police station or pharmacy has a drug take-back program. If you're with someone who's likely to overdose, call 911. One of the major contributing factors to an overdose death is that many witnesses do not call 911 due to fear of police involvement. What a lot of people don't know is that the 911 Good Samaritan Law provides protection from drug possession charges when an overdose victim or an overdose witness seeks medical attention. If you or someone you know is dealing with addiction, ask for help. Talk about what's happening to a family member, a school counselor, doctor, or other trusted person. You can also call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services 24-7 hotline at 1-800-662-HELP.